Hey, everybody, before we get into the show, we have a major earth-shattering massive announcement. Nikki? Yes, it is that time again, Pete Wright. Our monthly planning membership is open for enrollment. GPS stands for Guided Planning Sessions, if you don't know already. We've worked really hard here at Take Control ADHD to provide you with a service that not only gives you ideas and strategies on how to plan your day and your week, but it also provides time and space for you to do the work and not just by yourself, but with others who understand and support you. We meet every Monday and Thursday, and there are three different sessions for each day that you're invited to attend. We are dedicated to making this membership to be one that is transformative in the way you think about planning and taking control of your time and schedule. There are so many benefits to the GPS membership, so please be sure to visit our website at takecontroladhd.com slash GPS. Enrollment is open now through May 8th. Thank you for your time and attention, and I hope to see you soon. On with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Taking Control, the ADHD podcast on Rashpixel.fm. I'm Pete Wright, and right over there is Nikki Kinzer. Hello, everyone. Hello, Pete. Good morning, Nikki. Hello. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. How are you? As as we record this, it is a fine Labor Day, and uh, so we sh- you know we should be doing that puzzle, but we're not. We're here podcasting. That's right. Because we love it. But then I'm going to do the puzzle after the podcast. Well, it's all about order of operations. I think we know that from basic math. That's right. Um, We are going to be talking with, uh, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a pretty big fan of this guy uh, that we're going to be talking to today. And so I hope I can keep my wits together. Honestly, I've worn his clothes. I don't even know what to say. Before we do that, head over to TakeControlADHD.com. You can get to know us a little bit better. You can listen to the show right there on the website or subscribe to the mailing list, and we'll send you an email with the latest episode each week. And please connect with us on Twitter or Facebook at TakeControlADHD. Before we dig into our conversation today, we do have a question from a listener, and I love it because alma mater, what? Yes, yeah. and my cousin's uh, son goes there right now. I know, it's like the whole world. Yeah. Oh, I love it, I love it. You know where you want to be as the sea levels rise? It's Boulder, Colorado. That's right. Uh, we have this question from Ashton who says, Hey, Nikki and Pete, first, I just want to thank you for the podcast. I was diagnosed with ADHD last May, age 23, and the podcast has been an excellent resource for learning about my ADHD and how I can thrive as a neurodiverse individual. I just became a patron. (laughs) Thank you. Yay. Fantastic. On to the questions. I'm currently attending law school at CU Boulder. Oh, buffs. And I have to interact with many people throughout the week in my internship, school, networking events, etc. As an introvert, this is already bad enough. When socializing, there is one question that I never have a good answer to. What did you do this weekend? Keeping up in law school and with ADHD is exhausting, and by the time the weekend comes, I need to work on my mental health, sleep, go to yoga, exercise, and prepare for the next week. I get a lot of weird looks when I tell people I just stayed home and relaxed and got my life together. I feel so boring. How can I connect with my neurotypical peers that just don't get it? I I just don't think he's doing anything wrong. (laughs) Like, I totally get this. (laughs) Like, you know, I mean, my gosh, first of all, attending law school, I don't know. I mean, really, am I, maybe I'm just, I don't have the right expectation in my mind or thought process around this, but I would think any law student is going to be really busy and maybe not want to do much on the weekend. Um, 
So, you know, I, I would just encourage him to keep being him. I mean, this is obviously what he needs. And uh, I don't know, what would be a canned answer that you could give somebody so you don't feel boring? Well, and that is the, that's the other strategy, right? Which is, and this is what we, my kids, you know, my kids went to this Chinese school and they were always asked when people, other parents came around and they were like, oh, you go to this uh, immersion school, say something in Chinese. And my kids would like lock up. This is when they're very young and they would like go into vapor lock. They wouldn't have anything to say. And so we encourage them to do this, to have that canned response, just write out a sentence and memorize it so that when somebody, they're not going to care. They don't care what you say. They just want to hear you say something. They just want to hear you fill in the blank. So just say, my name is blah, 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 and I study Chinese. And that's that's it. Just say that in Chinese, and then your obligation is done. And so I, I think that's the strategy here. Just come up with something, anything that allows you to um, to fill in a blank that is a social grace. Nobody cares what it is. You could say, "I went, um, I, I went mountain goat hunting, and I didn't find anything." Guess I'll try next weekend. Or I, you know, I I went scuba diving in Blue Hole. It's what I do. And then move on to something else. Uh, I saw, uh, I just, you know, always, you can always say is, oh man, when I'm not in law school, I love to binge me some Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There you go. Because yeah. it's an old show, nobody cares. Just, even if you, it's okay. It's okay. These are the yeah. socially acceptable, um, like little, little white lies that keep a conversation going. Nobody cares. Right. And I have to say, I wonder too, because you know how sometimes we care more about what other people think than really they care? Yeah. And I'm wondering if that's not the situation. Like, he feels like he's boring, but I don't know if that other person really thinks he's boring. Like, it could be something that he's feeling because he thinks it's boring. But I think relaxing and... I mean, I I think all those things are great. I do too, especially because (laughs) during the week, you're doing everything you're supposed to do. Like, it's okay to be exhausted and say, I did nothing. But can I tell you about Friday? Can I tell you about Thursday? I did hella incredibly hard stuff. Just do that. Just do that. That's okay. The last part of the question is my favorite. And this this one is for you. Uh, What are your favorite books? I've never been able to read a book or come close to finishing one. Now that I know I struggle with reading because of my ADHD, I started listening to audiobooks and I've been loving it. Open to all book recommendations. I'm not the one to... What's favorite book? uh, To to ask. I, you know, I don't read a lot of books. I read probably maybe, maybe two or three a year. Um, Mm -hmm. I am a magazine person. So I, uh, I'm on, what is it? Apple news. I subscribe to Apple news every month. Okay. And so you uh, get your magazine. I get all my magazines. Any magazine that I want is on that. And, uh, and that's how I spend my time when I want to read because it's short and I can finish it and I don't feel bad if I don't you know, read the whole yeah. magazine or whatever. So I don't know. I mean, I, it, that's hard. I mean, I like books and there's been books that I've read that I really enjoyed. But it's hard for me to... It's kind of like you are your kids being asked to, to speak Chinese. Like yeah, that, is, right. that just freezes me. Like, I don't know what to say. Yeah, no, I get that. I, I wouldn't know what to say if I didn't track my books in Goodreads because that helps. I'll forget what books I read. Right. So I will say this year, the books that I like a lot, uh, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality by Eliezer Yudkowsky is fantastic. I've talked about it before. It's the alternate universe retelling of the Harry Potter story from the 
position of a rationalist, and it's bonkers great. Um, Michelle Baker wrote a series uh, that was, uh, it, it's about the uh, the space between the fairy universe and the real world, and this uh, a wonderful protagonist, this incredible woman protagonist who's an amputee, and uh, her experience of becoming like a guardian between. So if you're into fantasy, science fiction fantasy, it's a great trilogy. Uh, the Imposter Syndrome was the third book. I can't remember the first one. Anyway, it's great. Uh, if you're into to, uh, marriage uh, craziness, Oh my goodness, The Marriage Pact by Michelle Richmond was a crazy thriller about um, a cult that gets a new couple to join them and then won't let them out. And it's great. Uh, and Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, uh, Creative Living Beyond Fear. I'm, I, a lot of people aren't crazy about Elizabeth Gilbert, the person. I don't really have an opinion about the person beyond the fact that I adore this book. It is one of my very favorites. And so it's a it's my nonfiction rec- feel good recommendation, uh, just how to create great stuff. And I think all of these are available on audiobook. Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, you have to go to hpmor.com to get. So there you go. That's that's my favorite stuff for Ashton. Thank you for writing. And let's see, do we have anything else to say about that? I think we're good. Shall we start the conversation? Let's do it. Let's do it. Hey, you know, before we get started, this week's show is brought to you by Audible. And with this week's listener question, the timing could not be more perfect. All you have to do is visit audibletrial.com slash the ADHD podcast and sign up for a new account and then you get your pick of any one credit audiobook in the collection for free plus two Audible original productions. And if you don't like the book, swap it. Not happy with the service after a month? Cancel. No questions asked. And you know what they're throwing in? Exclusive audio-guided wellness programs that'll help you meditate, get you started in a new yoga practice, and get fit. I have just downloaded the program Motivational Runs now, and it's terrific. Again, sign up for a new account at audibletrial.com slash the ADHD podcast to get your free audiobook today. And thank you to Audible for sponsoring the ADHD podcast. If you visit his blog, and I'll spell this for you, B-R-E-T-T-T-E-R-P-S-T-R-A dot com, you might find it a touch impenetrable if you're not already a fan of Brett Terpstra, one of the more technically oriented among us. His specialties, beyond being an exceptional writer, of course, lie in software development, markdown, and generally helping people become more efficient on their Macs through scripting and time tracking and automation. But if you dig in just a bit, you will meet an extraordinarily approachable guy, a guy who is as open about his mental health as he is his podcasts, his yoga practice, his upcoming software releases. I have been a fan of his podcast, Systematic, for years. I have long found his voice one of a a powerful role model for technologists who are struggling to find a way to feel safe in their own vulnerability. Brett Terpstra, welcome to the ADHD podcast. That was a heck of an intro. It's nice to be here. I'm happy to meet you. 
This is a great intro. You got to tell me more about you. <laughs> well, and that is, to be fair, I, I sprung this on Nikki. I just got so excited. It worked up. I thought, why have we ever had Brett on the show? And I just said, Nikki, trust me. Just trust me. Right. He's awesome. You're going to love it. I even, so I wore his clothes. I had one of the original lab shirts that use, I, I, I used the whole of the, the whole, every part of the Buffalo for this shirt. I wore it proudly. It was my original lab logo t-shirt. And then it started to wear out. So it became an exercise t-shirt and then it started ripping giant holes in it and became a rag. Like the thing literally <laughs> disintegrated over the years. So that's uh, amazing. Uh, it's fantastic. I, I want to start with, with a little bit of reading just to set the stage. I want to read a passage uh, from your blog, from something that you wrote earlier this year. And, and hopefully that kind of sets the stage for us for our conversation today. You write, I've been dealing with mental health issues more than usual lately, mostly surrounding my ADHD. The meds don't seem to be working for me anymore, but I'm not convinced my focus issue isn't more related to depression than ADHD. To top that off, I just found out that my psychiatrist is moving on, leaving me with the terrifying options of going back to the clinic that originally stripped me of all my stimulant meds or joining a waiting list at a different hospital with no guarantees I won't get the same treatment. I'm trying to convince myself that even if I lose my meds, they haven't been effective lately anyway. But I know very well from all too recent experiences that they're far better than nothing. So whatever is going on right now, be it ADHD symptoms or depression, med-related or lifestyle, I'm finding it impossible to tackle more than one thing at once. I wanted to read that because, uh, well, for two reasons. First, I think sharing that sort of experience on the same website where you sell your primary products that make up a significant source of your livelihood is terrifying to a lot of our listeners. And I want to know what it was like making the transition between the day job at AOL Tech to doing your own thing with ADHD in your proverbial sidecar and living with this urge to communicate it as you do. So uh, for the last, I don't know, 20 years of my career, I've, I, I was only, I was more recently diagnosed with ADHD. Um, I didn't know why I had so much trouble with the things I had trouble with. Uh, but I had begun changing my career to work with the way that I worked. And I became a remote worker early on for Agile Bits and then AOL. And that afforded me the ability to start doing what I was able to when I was able to. I didn't have a 9 to 5 schedule. I didn't have to take my breaks at a specific time. If I couldn't focus on the task at hand, I could forgive myself and go for a walk and hope that when I got back, I would be able to focus. It was still a lot of trials and tribulations. I did really well at AOL. I found a groove there until there was a shakeup and I no longer got along with my boss. And that was the prompt to go indie. I was making twice as much money as I thought I needed. And so half of that was coming from the freelance stuff I was already doing, the projects I was already selling. I figured, okay, worst comes to worst. I make half as much money and I'm still fine. Uh, I ended up making about a quarter of the money. It, it was very difficult for an ADHD person to pull together a business. I watched some of the other people in my industry and the, uh, they handle it with aplomb and the amount of effort they're able to put into their own marketing and keeping up all of their various channels, that was beyond me. So I just started doing what I could and surviving, I guess. But it's it's continued to pan out. I'm a 
very open person about my, as you, as you mentioned, I'm very open about my disabilities. That's never been scary to me. It's, it's scarier for me to hold that stuff in and try to hide it than it is to put it out there. You, you said uh, on the same blog where I sell my products, but I feel like most of the people who follow me, who buy my stuff, they're there because I am vulnerable. They're there because they appreciate that. I'm, I'm glad you said that. I, my question around that directly was how much of your success as a software developer do you feel like is attributed to your candor with the world around you? Was that the question? And I just went off on a whole history thing? It was, n- no, you, yeah, no, and I think you'll relate. It was the question that was in here in my head that never actually specifically came out of my mouth. <laughs> I mean, I make some some interesting stuff. I make stuff that solves problems for people. But the following that I've developed that makes it possible for me to take chances on new things, I think very much relates to myself as a person and the uh, the ability that I've had to share difficulties, uh, to share successes, to really be open about that stuff. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your background. You mentioned that you you were only recently officially diagnosed uh, with ADHD. What was that experience like? Um, it was it was a relief. So, uh, like, I was first told I might have ADHD by a doctor who was happy to prescribe stimulants. Uh, that kind of doctor doesn't exist anymore. But without any official testing or anything, I began taking stimulants, and it changed everything for me. Uh, so I worked on the assumption that, sure, I have ADHD. I wasn't uh, tested and officially diagnosed until a few years ago. Uh, but that was after about uh, five years of already taking medication for it. After the testing and after it became kind of a reality for me, it was enlightening uh, to be able to look back at my my time in school and the difficulties I had, uh, the the problems that I had in my relationships, the problems that I had in life in general, and finally being able to say, it's not me as a person that's at fault, that there's something in me, that there's something that explains all of this. And I could, I could stop letting it be my shame and start letting it be something that I could work with. I have to say, I love that because that is something as a coach that I strive for all of my clients to get to. It is that point of acceptance and being able to work with it. I'm just curious if you can expand a little bit more on how you got there. Like, how did you get to that real, that it sounds to me a real peaceful, content place? It's, <laughs> It's not permanently peaceful and content. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm also diagnosed as bipolar, which is a, a diagnosis I often question, like what are ADHD symptoms and what are bipolar symptoms? I'm super interested in that Venn diagram, like how that manifests. Right. For you. Well, and a lot of times bipolar is misdiagnosed when it is actually mm-hmm. ADHD. And I had the bipolar diagnosis long before I had the ADHD diagnosis. So it's just kind of stuck with me. And in those days when when I am depressed, I don't have peace. Like it, I go down a shame spiral very quickly. The process that I went through really involved forgiving myself and having to constantly forgive myself. I would metaphorically stub my toe and have these moments where I felt like I should be able to do this and I can't. And being able to do what I talked about, go take a walk instead and let it go to forgive myself. And that's a very conscious effort. 
I can't make myself focus. I, no amount of willpower is going to make me able to do something that in the moment I can't do. But I can forgive myself for that. And that's what I've focused on. That's what I've learned. I've gotten pretty adept at. Well, and that's how beautiful it is that that often, and I'll speak only for myself here, but just the act of learning how to forgive yourself for not being able to focus is often the gateway to being able to focus again. Exactly. Absolutely. There was a, I, I, I love the way you're talking about this. For me, I, I look at it as like the ADHD cycle of grief, you know, that, that, uh, it starts with focus and productivity. And I, I, I know I'm going to have a great day, right? Power to the people. <laughs> and, uh, then it leads to that self judgment, you know, God, I wonder if I'm going to have a great day. It's 10 and I've watched three episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> back to back. Hmm. Then it goes to self doubt. Nope, it's noon now, and I really don't believe I am capable of having a great day anymore. And then by about two o'clock, I hate myself, right? That's self-loathing. So like from optimism to self-judgment to self-doubt to self-loathing, and then it's just like, oh, I I better figure out how to start again tomorrow. I, I feel like after years of doing this, that's kind of how I relate to ADHD and having those sorts of trigger points, like being able to to gate and stage it, it, it helps me catch it hopefully before I get to those last two stages so that I can put some of my accommodations in place. And sometimes it's as simple as like, I just need to eat a popsicle and remind myself that I'm an okay person and forgive myself for going down this road. I remember reading a post uh, on your site some time ago, and I, I only just found it again this morning. I couldn't have told you what the topic was about. Uh, but there was a line that stuck with me. And you were talking about, as it turns out now, your cooking. What you said, what stuck with me is that uh, a benefit of not being on the meds was that, quote, my ADHD wouldn't let me sit at the computer for extended periods. And I was really struck by that sort of anthropomorphism, that there's a kind of permission that comes with ADHD that I'm seeking from my ADHD. Like, please let me do this a little bit longer. Please, please don't screw this up for me right now, right? Like, I'm begging. How do you relate to that idea? I mean, I, when I watch you talking about it, when I read you, you know, how you write about it, it, it strikes me that that might be, a, that, that might relate to you in some way. I guess I've always seen mental illness as something outside of me. Uh, I've dealt with a lot of addiction in my life, and I've always pictured my inner addict as uh, a, like a shadow behind mm-hmm. me that's, that's catching up with me all the time. And I, I guess I've always seen ADHD in the same way as something apart from me that I do have to, I have to struggle with it. I have to ask for permission. I have to accept its effect on me, but not as, as an integral part of me, I guess. I had never really thought about it the way that you're, you're presenting my words to me, but it makes sense. Uh, I guess it's such a natural distinction for me to draw that I hadn't considered it. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, it's it's this question of voices, right? And I think, you know, for me, those accommodations come in terms of voices. Like, how do you work to figure out which voice is the right voice to listen to? I guess it's pretty apparent to me which one is making me feel the worst. When I'm depressed, it's really hard to dig out of that uh, listening to the bad voice. The bad voice becomes very loud. 
Well, and I think that's the trick. I mean, you just said something really interesting, that it's apparent to you which voice is making you feel bad. I don't think that's universal. I think that's one of the things that a lot of people struggle with, that in fact, they are, they are, uh, they become immune to being able to tell the difference between the good voices and the bad voices because of where they exist in their ADHD. I'm told I have a very high emotional IQ. Like I have a very strong understanding of my emotions and my thought patterns. I guess that's been honed over time because of exactly what we're talking about here, having to find that, having to be able to discern those things. And I think it was honestly honed a lot by uh, going through 12-step programs and learning to, to approach my addictions, uh, learning, to, learning what those behaviors were, being able to recognize those thought patterns, uh, really learning learning about myself in a way that up until then I hadn't had to consider. Mm. So I guess the suggestion is go get hooked on heroin. (laughs) Find your way off it. You'll be fine. You'll figure it out. (laughs) That's the, I'm super open about my drug addictions too, which I've been warned against many times, but it's, it's not directly hurt me in the past. Um, But then again, I've also fashioned my career around pursuits that allow me to be that open. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, and, and you know, you have become in in circles, I, I, I will say, in some wonderful and impactful circles. You become, uh, I, I don't know, is celebrity the right word? Internet personality? What is the, are you an influencer? D-list, you D-list celebrity. <laughs> okay. <laughs> D-list celebrity, we'll go with that. What, uh, you know, how have you seen this candor beyond just, you know, have, as you've talked about, you know, it's, it's been a positive thing in building your personality online and, and to those who follow your work. Um, have you seen any, any perceptible downsides to this? I, I have not, I guess. Um, I've never felt judged or penalized for it. I get, I get thank you notes two to three times a week. Um, and and have for years now, just a consistent stream of people saying, you talking about this stuff makes it okay for me to to feel it. Even if they're not brave enough to talk about it themselves, hearing someone else and knowing they're not alone gives them the courage to go to work and deal with their own very similar issues. And you're, you're an avatar for others, you know, grief i i guess it's come out that way and yeah and i that that level of appreciation and the difference that i see my openness making only encourages me to to continue being open but like i said it's just it's a natural instinct for me i am not good at not talking about things you know i see it as such an inspiration too because it's it's bringing transparency to your work and it's your authentic self. And it's so much harder to not to to hide that and pretend like that's not you when when this is a part of your life. This is part of who you are. And I think that there are so many listeners out there that are in that hole of just hiding it from people. They don't want people to know or they're ashamed of it or whatever. And so it's a to me it's an inspiration for people to hear that you're open with it and that you haven't had that backlash that, and you know what? I would also say to people that when you do feel judged and that could happen, right? I mean, somebody could be in a situation where this happens, but you're strong enough and you can deal with that because you're still who you are. You're still authentic to yourself. 
And uh, I love that part of your, all of your story. I love. I've been, <laughs> I, I've had the good fortune of finding a partner who uh, has, she's helped me learn about a, she not only accepts that I have it, she has changed the way we communicate, the way that she understands me uh, to accommodate. And like, as soon as she found out that I had ADHD, she started researching and she learned more about ADHD than I've ever known. And uh, it turns out uh, that habit of just blurting out what I think <laughs> and what I feel is a symptom of ADHD. Uh, <laughs> even <laughs> even when I write, I, I don't often edit the things that just pour out. So she calls it the blurts. I get the blurts. <laughs> And when it's when it's inconvenient, when I am in the middle of a yoga class and and say something that isn't really yoga class worthy, uh, she she will just say, uh, "Do you have the blurts?" And that's my cue to like, okay, refocus. Maybe don't say what I'm thinking right now. Do you ever ask for that from her? That kind of support? I I no. I asked for understanding. Uh, when I, when I saw the effect that, that my ADHD could have on any relationship, uh, I, I wanted to let her know that it was there and what kind of effect it would have. And it was entirely of her own volition that she not only understood it, but sought to, to work with it. And I can't tell you how lucky I feel to have that. I, I want to step back before we, um, you know, before we get to wrapping up, I want to talk more about physical health and ADHD. And I don't know if starting with drug addiction is the right way to do it. <laughs> but I wonder if you've if you've had any thoughts post diagnosis to the connection uh, to your, let's say, vulnerability to drug addiction and the potential relationship with your ADHD. Um, yeah. In in retrospect, uh Untreated ADHD and addiction go hand in hand. While I'm medicated, while I have stimulant medication, I don't have urges to abuse anything. It gives enough power to my frontal lobes to have some uh, the ability to look and say, well, I could go do that, but I would feel better and be more productive if I didn't. And that's in those, in those periods of my life, it's obvious. Uh, that's an easy distinction to make. Uh, untreated though, I do find myself very prone to doing whatever I think is going to feel good at the time. And that was the way I had always lived up until, uh, I started treatment for ADHD and, uh, it had gone very poorly for me. So there, there's a definite connection and treating ADHD was definitely part of me being able to kick a lot of habits. So let's look at the other side then, now that you're, you are, you've have gone through that part of the journey, the never ending journey, uh, to, to health. Where are you now with your relationship to physical health and your ADHD well-being? So for the first few years that I was, uh, I was treated, I began focusing very heavily on work and I was working my full-time job and creating projects and blogging at night. And it was, it, it, it was hell on my body. I, I gained a lot of weight. Uh, I got very out of shape. Uh, I, 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 I could hurt myself sitting in a chair. Uh, 
Then my medication was cut off. My psychiatrist left. They brought in a, a PA to fill his place. And he immediately said, you've had addiction problems in the past. You can't be on any uh, schedule two drugs at all. And wow. cut, cut everything off. Uh, so basically, I was left with Lamictal for my bipolar. After I got, I mean, that caused some serious depression. Just suddenly, I was unable to continue working. But I did find that going for a walk raised enough endorphins in me that I could get, if I walked for half an hour, I could get a half hour of work out of it. And if I walked for two hours, I could get not actually not two hours out of that. But <laughs> but in the process, I started physically feeling better. And uh, so I started walking daily, uh, eventually started doing yoga. I have since then lost 85 pounds. Um, I'm capable of running and jumping and uh, feeling great all of the time. And uh, I've been doing yoga for about three years now and have progressed to I guess you I, I guess I could be considered advanced. I can go to the advanced yoga classes, and that is something I never would have thought my body would be able to do that That is a stunning thing. And I have to say, uh, and I, I had missed this post, but there is a, a post you wrote about the uh, challenges of uh, men doing yoga. <laughs> and once again, I forgot I wrote that post. Your candor is very, very welcome. It, it, it actually opened the door to me to figure some things out. When, so. <laughs> when, when, new, when new males show up in our yoga class, I will usually take them aside at the end and I will I will let them know. They're going to ask you to do this one yeah, thing. Well, here, here are the things that I could not figure out when I first got here. Here are the solutions. And and yeah. I found that's generally appreciated because most people won't talk about what happens to your bits when you're ground into the floor. That's right. It's a puzzle. It's a total mystery. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. Well, I, and, and, well, you know, we don't we try not to have gendered discussions on this show, but there are some areas that are really impossible. And, well, and all of my all of my instructors were female. And I would ask them, as I am want to do specific questions about that. And they wouldn't know the answers. They would have to go consult with yeah. their male yogi friends and then get back to me. So I try to be a resource in that area. I just have a question because I know at the beginning you were talking, you did that expert from the um, the blog post about the medication and the, the psychiatrist leaving. And then you just mentioned it again. Um, and I'm curious, Brett, did that get resolved? I mean, did you find somebody that was willing to work with you? And I'm just curious, like what what happened? What was the outcome? So at the point that they cut my meds, I had not had the official testing. Uh, to get mm -hmm. the testing cost me $800 and it was something that uh, I wasn't able to do. After they cut my meds, um, after about a year of not being treated, I, I pulled together the money and got the testing, got the uh, ADHD inattentive diagnosis, no problem. And with that, I was able to go to a new network and uh, find a psychiatrist there who was very happy to work with me and very happy to treat me in a way that had previously proven successful. And uh, mm -hmm. so it, I, was, I was without medication for about two years. And in that time, everything did go to hell. Um, my, my work suffered, my income went to zero, 
my marriage fell apart. Like it, it was a rough time. Uh, but eventually I did, I did get back onto the medication because I found a new and wonderful woman who was a pleasure to work with. And now she's gone and I'm back with a PA, but he hasn't cut my meds. And I just got through the waiting list to get back into the place where my, the, the psychiatrist that I loved, uh, to get back in with her replacement, which is a telepresence doctor that I, I haven't tried sure. yet. I have my first appointment this month. We'll see how that goes. What do you, what gives you anxiety about that? And I'm, I'm assuming anxiety just because I'm looking at um, your face. The, <laughs> anytime I switch doctors after that one experience where, and, and when that doctor or PA initially cut my meds, he put a mark on my chart that said, do not prescribe. And nobody would touch me after oh. that. It was a, a, and every time I switched doctors to try to get a new opinion, that was marked down as drug seeking behavior and just added to that problem. So for me, switching doctors is a nerve wracking situation. Uh, I, I, since you're here, I, I have to talk or let you talk about the stuff that I'm, I'm such a direct and immediate fan of first and foremost, which is your tech work. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how do you characterize uh, the, the work that you do right now, primarily? I solve problems that I have. Uh, a lot of my work is, it's actually uh, built around ADHD. And I was doing that before I even realized what I was doing. But I have, I have trouble, uh, anything that causes friction when I get to work is going to be completely distracting. If you take me off my train of thought, I won't get back. I also have a very common tendency to tweak. I would find myself, I'd run into a problem that would derail me, uh, and it would derail me in part because I had to solve that problem. And I would put hours into finding the solution. And the only way to justify that amount of time was to share it with other people and let uh, make something that other people could take and run with. And let that initially just for uh, peace of mind, but eventually it became a source of income. And everything I do is basically things that derail me that I can fix. Uh, and then I justify the amount of time in the fix by sharing. All right. Now, specifically, I've been singing the praises of Markdown for ages and ages. You live Markdown <laughs> so hard that you write software and publish tools to help people unleash the power of it. Uh, how did you how did you land in, in this space in particular? Um, I, I was a web developer before I ever discovered Markdown. Um, so I was writing my blog posts in HTML. And this is before like WYSIWYG editors were worth anything. Right. And uh, it was Alan Odgard, the creator of TextMate. We were on a mailing list discussion and he, he said, why don't you use Markdown? And so I gave it a shot. It changed my blogging completely. And uh, over time, it just became wrote for me. I began using it for everything and then started wanting to use it for things it wasn't necessarily meant for. I had to write software to make it fit into other areas, like generating full PDF documents was the beginning. And then being able to write uh, Word documents in Markdown, <laughs> uh, being able to use Markdown on blogs and systems that weren't designed to handle it. And I just began kind of fixing those problems. And yeah, eventually, that absolutely became kind of the uh, core of my 
my tool set. It took, do you remember how long it took you for Markdown to to affect your life? Uh, like just in in minutes, maybe even seconds? Half an hour. Because half an hour. Oh man, that's long. I, the first time I wrote asterisk asterisk bold asterisk asterisk, it, that was done. It, so it took me the first time I wrote out the link syntax. It yeah. was clearly better than writing a tags. Uh, I, I immediately got into that, but it took me a while for it to become, uh, rote. And the first thing that I did was work, uh, with the existing, uh, markdown package for TextMate to make that even simpler. And, uh, I had it just being able to paste the link from my clipboard into markdown syntax. And as soon as I realized how easy that was, yeah, then I was sold. Uh, I, I've got an awful lot of Brett Terpster stuff on my own system, proud to say, and you have another thing coming up. I just want to give you a chance to talk about it if you want, the the successor to uh, the fantastic note tool, NVAlt. Um, do you want to talk about NVAlt sure. for, our, yeah. for our audience that is particularly technically minded? We are very close to release, so yes. Um... I had originally, I forked Notational Velocity, which is an excellent note-taking app, and I added markdown capabilities to it, a bunch of markdown editing tools, live preview, stuff like that. And that got really popular. Users in upwards of 500,000. Mm-hmm. And uh, I couldn't make any money on that because it was built off someone else's software. Even if there weren't a, a restrictive license for it, I would not have felt okay charging money for what what amounted to me adding duct tape to someone else's app. So I wanted to rewrite it. Uh, I started on a new project right around the time they cut my meds. And uh, that never came to fruition. And then I was talking to Fletcher Penny, the guy who created Multi-Markdown. And he had already started on his own kind of version of, of the same concept. And I... I said, can I join you? Can we make this a joint effort? And he was all for it. And so what we've got coming out, we're calling NV Ultra, which is a play on NV Alt because it does everything NV Alt did just better. And uh, it has the full markdown editing power of multi-markdown composers. So auto-completion of link titles. Uh, if you have a link in your clipboard and you select text and hit Command-V, it's going to paste it as a link. Full autocomplete dictionaries that actually pick up text you've already written in your document and will autocomplete future uses of longer words for you. Oh, for crying out loud. Yeah, it's uh, it's intensely powerful, <laughs> but all all with that kind of invisible power that you're used to from NVAlt. There's no toolbar. There's no, you don't have to memorize a bunch of keys. These things are all just intuitive part of your writing. Uh, and then a live preview and amazingly fast search through thousands of notes with just a couple words. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to getting it out there. Well, Nikki, I know that uh, autocomplete dictionaries really lights you up. Uh, I have completely but... zoned out for the last <laughs> <laughs> So I'll be honest, like you might as well have been speaking a different language. And that's okay. Yeah, it's called Markdown. 
It's called yeah. Markdown. We're very excited about it. Uh, <laughs> you know, but in all seriousness, uh, Nikki, you see why I want this guy on the show? Of course I, mean, I do. It's just, uh, of course. It's just um, every circle. Uh, it's just been a big fan. So, uh, Brett, tell people again, where where can they find you? Where can they learn more about your work? Uh, as you said, brettterpstra.com with the three T's in the middle. Uh, then there's TT Scoff on all of the social media networks. If you go to my projects page, brettterpstra.com slash projects, you can find a lot of the stuff we've talked about. NB Ultra is at nbultra.com. Yeah, I think that's about it. All right. I will put links to all of those things in the show notes, everybody. Just swipe over in your podcast app and start tapping. Uh, I'm also going to put links to his merch page uh, <laughs> because the I want to be sedated or anarchy <laughs> uh, Sex Pistols Ramon t-shirt is... That I understand. Well, <laughs> and, and did, you, did you notice the I is actually has a no. uh, shadow black flag symbol in it? Goodness, of course. It's like, I feel like I just saw one of those lenticular posters and the dinosaur just came out. That's fantastic. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much, Brett Brett Terpster, for your time today. Thank you for having me. This was great. And thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We sure appreciate your time and attention as ever. On behalf of Nikki Kinzer and Brett Terpstra, I'm Pete Wright, and we'll catch you next time right here on Taking Control, the ADHD podcast. (laughs) 